This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Majority Report, The Young Turks, The Progressive, The Professional Left Podcast, The Onion Radio News, The David Feldman Show, and Moyers and & Company. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, unlike some state legislatures, this episode encourages you to think critically. Iowa Republicans have come out with their party platform, and it is really just as insane as you would hope a Republican party platform would be. They, they're really in, uh, trying to outdo uh, Texas this year, which generally has the craziest of platforms. First off, Jesse uh, LaGreca points out that there is no section of this platform on job creation. Zero. However, there is a section requiring a candidate prove that he or she meets all requirements for that office prior to being placed in nomination, including proof of United States citizenship. Because, you know, President Obama, not a citizen. Although, um, it seems that the uh, Secretary of State of Arizona, Ken Bennett, is now looking like an idiot because he threatened to keep President Obama off of his ballot unless the state of Hawaii verified that they had seen President Obama's birth certificate, and they decided to do it, even though they weren't sure that this guy was was sure that Bennett qualified, uh, was qualified to be investigating the matter. Back to Iowa, the party platform, we support the elimination of the Departments of Agriculture. Mm, where are all those corn supports going to come from? Education, Homeland Security, Housing and Urban Development, Health and Human Services, Energy, Interior, Labor, and Commerce. Commerce, which, you know, does the uh, census. That's basically their main function. That's constitutionally uh, required, incidentally. As well as the TSA, FDA, ATF, EPA, National Endowment for Arts, Fannie Mae, and Freddie Mac. They also, and thank God somebody's doing this, we call for a full investigation of the organization formerly known as ACORN and its allied organizations. So I guess kudos to the Iowa Republicans for knowing that ACORN doesn't exist anymore. And double kudos for knowing that it's come back as other secret organizations. And then finally, of course, um, they speak about the one world attacks on our sovereignty. I'm speaking, of course, of the nefarious Agenda 21, which is a global sustainable development campaign by the UN, which obligates nation states to do nothing. Explicitly obligates them to do nothing, simply suggests that they do certain things. Well, uh, of course, the Republican Iowa caucus, very upset about this. We demand that the term sustainable development in this Agenda 21 be defined 
vetted and controlled by country and state agricultural agencies whose private property it impacts rather than the UN. Um, so, I see. They just want the federal agricultural agencies to go away, which, of course, fund most of those state and county ones. Yes, they're crazy. And they're Republican. There's a wonderful symmetry there. Texas Republicans have put it into their platform, well, several ridiculous things, but two stand out as unbelievable. Point number one, to be repealed and not reauthorized. So the act that allowed African Americans to vote in peace and to participate in our democracy just like everybody else with equal rights, they want to repeal that. Gee, I wonder why blacks don't vote for Republicans. Gee, I wonder why Latinos are headed over in droves to the Democratic Party instead of the Republicans. Here are the Texas GOP platform. This is their mission statement saying, we would like to make sure that we go to the bad old days where minorities don't have the same rights as we do, and hopefully we can shut them out from voting. Great, great. So have at it, Hoss. You think that's bad? And it is. Wait till you get a load of what they say on knowledge-based education. This is in their platform. Quote, we oppose the teaching of high-order thinking skills. Critical thinking skills and similar programs that are simply a relabeling of outcome-based education, mastery learning, which focuses on behavior modification and have the purpose of challenging the student's fixed beliefs and undermining parental authority so the platform is we don't want you to do critical thinking we want you to simply do follow parental authority we don't want the students challenged on their fixed beliefs why don't you just write into the platform we'd like to make everybody in Texas as stupid as possible so they can keep voting Republican who says that we shouldn't teach the kids to think critically? Who says that? I mean, you might whisper it, like, oh God, wouldn't it be great if everybody in Texas was as dumb as we are and then everybody would be Republicans? You might whisper that, right? But you're going to actually say it in public? You're going to write it down on your platform? No, 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 we don't want anybody to question any beliefs. No, no, no. Bow your head. Bow your head and listen to authority. Don't start thinking it for yourself or anything like that. In America, this is what you think is the right thing to do in America. The Republican Party is a national embarrassment. How can anybody vote for this? How can anybody say, oh yeah, yeah, let's take away voting rights from blacks and Latinos. Uh, just, 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 go back to the old days in the, when we were running them over and it was just whites that were voting and, and we were trying to make it as hard as possible for them to, to vote. Yeah, that was great. And by the way, 
Let's make sure that our kids don't think at all, and then they're going to de- they don't get a decent education, so they just bow their heads and have fixed beliefs that you can't change. Well, you can, you know, when you say it in private, as they've done, mm-hmm. and then it somehow comes out in public, and nothing's mm-hmm. done about it, eventually you go, well, sounds pretty bad, but nobody seems to really care. Nobody's fighting us. I mean, if we do something blatantly wrong, and then we say, look at how you look at you did, and the opposition says, yeah, okay, we did, as we just talked about. I mean, you're emboldened. What else are you supposed to do? Like, well, this is too much trouble to cover this up. Let's just say it. No, 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 no. Of course, yeah, that's right. Look. If I was a Democrat running in Texas, I would take this, and if I was a Democratic Party, I'd do by hook or by crook, I'd get, raise as much money as possible, and I would put this in every ad in every election in Texas. Republicans want your kids to be dumb. They don't want your kids to learn. They are in, against higher education, high skills. They're against kids thinking for themselves. Are you going to be the, in the party of morons? Are you going to be in the party of stupid people? Are you that dumb? Now, of course, Democrats would never do that. Oh, my God, you might be insulting people, and then they would say... No, 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 you're running against them. Yes, you want voters to think they're the dumbasses I don't want to be associated with. Power's gone to Skywalker's head. After successfully beating back the recall effort, he now acts like a king of his little fiefdom in Wisconsin where he doesn't have to answer to anyone, not even the U.S. Supreme Court. After the decision came down on Thursday upholding the Affordable Care Act as the law of the land, Walker amazingly declared that he wasn't going to abide by it. Acting like a modern-day George Wallace or Lester Maddox or Orville Faubus, Walker said he'd wait till November when he hopes there'll be what he calls a political remedy. Only then, he said, will he consider what the state should do about implementing or not implementing the law. Even the state's Republican attorney general who had joined the lawsuit against the Affordable Care Act told Walker that he needed to obey the law. But Walker held himself up above the Supreme Court. While the court said it was legal, that doesn't make it right, Walker said. For us to put time and effort and resources into that doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, if he keeps up with that attitude, Obama may need to send federal troops to Madison, assuming the president ever discovers where that is. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. Mr. Maker, he's got to make A beautiful wife and a baby on the way And his bills are already paid no need to scrimp, no need to save But all around him, the world grows hard He thinks to himself he must have played a lucky card If he was alone, he'd give it all away To people and things that he wanted to say But oh no, it's alright Mr. Make it, he'll be fine It's alright, it's okay Because of the love he gave away So Lex Luthor, 
Oh, I'm sorry, Rick Scott, man whose company paid $1.5 billion in Medicare fines or Medicare fraud fines, um, has overseen the cuts of Florida's human service agencies, uh, health and human services agencies, uh, up to, I don't know, millions and millions of dollars. They specifically cut $4 million from Florida's infectious disease control budget. Uh, and the hospital that specifically covered TB. Why is this an issue? Because in April, the CDC, or I should say an investigator at the CDC, warned Florida health officials that a TB outbreak taking place in Jacksonville, Florida, was one of the worst they'd seen in 20 years. The investigator said, you need to deal with this epidemic immediately. You need to uh, mitigate this in some fashion. The Palm Beach Post says, had they seen the letter, decision makers would have learned that 3,000 people in the past two years may have had close contact with contagious people at Jacksonville's homeless shelter, an outpatient mental health clinic and area jails, yet only 253 people had been found and evaluated for TB infection, meaning Florida's outbreak was and is far from contained. The public was not to learn anything until early June, even though the same strain was appearing in other parts of the state, including Miami, and that is because of budget cuts. Maybe what, uh, what Rick Scott should do is just get all those scientists, get all those doctors, those clinicians that deal with Florida's infectious disease control agencies and just pay them, I don't know, minimum wage. Unbelievable. And, of course, those aren't real jobs anyways, right? The government can't make jobs. Why don't we just farm this out to some private, uh, to some private corporation that I am sure would put people's health above making a profit? Their tagline could be, we're the first company ever to do that. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be.
Washington has shifted so far to the right that the Republicans have become an unbearable party. The, the quote I often use is Charles Barkley saying, I used to be a Republican until they went nuts. And that's exactly how I feel. But here's the interesting part. It turns out now that's exactly how pretty much the most respected conservative jurist in the country feels. I know, because I used to go to the Federal Society meetings. I'm, in a lot of ways, still conservative judicially, right? And Richard Posner was a rock star. And the only reason he didn't make it on the Supreme Court is because he's a little bit older and he had all this experience under his belt, but that counts against him because they want the Supreme Court justice to last for decades on end. Now, he has flipped, and he's basically saying the same exact thing as Charles Barkley and I have been saying. Let me give you some of the quotes. And he's referring specifically on the vicious attack against Justice uh, John Roberts after his health care decision. So he says, look, put your, because if you put yourself in his position, what's he supposed to think? That he finds his allies to be a bunch of crackpots? Does that help the conservative movement? I mean, what would you do if you were Roberts? All of a sudden, you find out that the people you thought were your friends have turned against you, they despise you, they mistreat you, they leak to the press. What do you do? Do you become more conservative? Or do you say, what am I doing with this crowd of lunatics, right? Maybe you have to re-examine your position. Now, if he just left it there, you might think, hey, you know what, he's just talking about you know, the Supreme Court justices flipping and mistreating Roberts and possibly pushing him to a more moderate stance. But no, he's also referring to himself because he goes on to say, quote, I've become less conservative since the Republican Party started becoming goofy. Now, guys, I think this is pretty telling. I mean, a lot of people might not know who Posner is, but real serious conservative intellectuals know who he is. And for one of the smartest conservatives in the country to say, I I've just had about enough with this Republican Party, I think it's a big moment. Yeah, it's, you know, I, what he said there with I've become less conservative since the Republican Party started becoming goofy, um, you know, you can, you can stay conservative. It's the Republican Party that's leaving the conservatives behind. So it's, you know, totally, yeah. and, and so, again, he said this off the cuff, but it is telling and it's sort of what you wait for. You, you wait for the quote unquote reasonable Republicans, the reasonable conservatives. I have a hard time with that oxymoron these days but but um, but you wait for them to come out and say something is wrong here you wait for that Republican US Senator you wait for Dick Luger to switch parties you wait for something like that to happen so the people follow a lead people are gonna follow this guy's lead he is respected he's under the radar but he is as you said Jane really well respected but you know Michael I'm not sure that's the case I'll tell you why okay as far as following his lead because all the guys who are not in politics day to day, they've already done it. Senator Danforth, you know, the, the guys who are retired, Alan Simpson in a lot of ways, still troublesome in, in more yeah, ways too. Course. But overall saying, hey, these Republicans are out of control, etc. Senator Chuck Hagel from Nebraska from the old days, etc., etc. And you're right that, look, this is not the conservative position. One of the reasons I left the Republican Party was I am conservative when it comes to the budget. I want to balance the budget. Now, some of that means you raise taxes. Some of that means that you know you lower spending. These guys don't want to balance the budget. They just want lower taxes and only for the rich, right? Right, and they so, want it in a blanket way uh, all the time. I mean, there are reasons to balance the budget at a, at a proper time. Cutting spending is not always the right thing to do, as you now right. I think. Right, of no. course. It yeah. depends on the circumstances. Yeah. And it, it was not the conservative thing to do to attack countries that didn't attack you. That, that's not a conservative way of doing foreign policy. And you go down the list. They're not real conservatives. And so I think Posner's right. And I, what do you think, Brian? Is there any chance that... There is a faction of 
quote unquote real conservatives who remember what it means to be a conservative that spin off and go, this Republican Party, all the politicians actually are working for multinational corporations. They're not conservatives, they're just corporatists. If they did, that would be far too reasonable for cable news networks to cover them. Um, <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think he uses the word goofy. Maybe that's a euphemism or a way of saying stupid or unreasonable or people who can't argue in a room. Inarguable sort of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're offering things that aren't aren't in they basically are inarguable is that the, is that the right way yeah, to say this yes. in that in that what's being drowned the drumbeat of mainstream conservatism today is this outrageous uh, inarguable unreasonable stuff that's being thrown at uh, uh, you know all of us essentially but and here's a guy who basically deals in reason he deals in logical arguments and he's finding it difficult to reason or argue uh, with uh, you know, with these guys on his side, and I think that basically uh, is a way of saying um, what has co-opted the party. Basically, is a kind of stupidity. Yeah, you know, that's a, can, one last thing on this. I think Brian really hit it there because I think this is a marker for that we can say this is the point when smart conservatives thought this party no longer stands for anything. It stands for the the bottom line or whoever their donors is. But as yeah. far as principles and ideology. We've lost track of what the hell we were supposed to stand Unless we understand that the enemy is not um, Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because if you get Rush Limbaugh on the air, someone else will be swung into position to take his place. Mm-hmm. Get Glenn Beck off the air, someone else will pop up. The enemy is the movement itself, and there's no way to get rid of it other than to get rid of it. And that's the battle. That's the real battle. So, given that that's the battle, given that that's the problem, um, Conservatism is the problem. The Republican Party is the problem. And lots of people are slowly, grudgingly, haltingly, people like Andrew Sullivan, being forced almost at gunpoint to admit that, yes, I can't say the word liberals because I can't admit liberals are right all along. But, yes, the problem in this country is conservatives. The problem in this country is the Republican Party. They are the problem. Until we get rid of them, until we – until we – sequester them until we isolate them until we get them the hell off the stage all of our other problems will go unsolved because they simply will not permit them to be addressed as long as they have political power so who aids and abets them who who are their allies who are their italian allies in this battle and their allies are centrists yeah and that's that's i wanted to talk about that because mark mckinnon had so much candor at, at the moment that this happened, uh, to have to react rather, you know, within an hour or so of the of the decision coming down, mm-hmm. 
And his answer was essentially, we know centrists and independent voters love a winner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you just admitted that your no labels thing is total bullshit. That it's yeah. it's about it's weak people who don't want to have a political opinion, who don't want to make waves. They just want to side with the, the person winner. who wins or the person who appears strong. Now, now, you want to remind people who Mark McKinnon, Mark McKinnon is, is and who he was. Well, who he was. He was in the Bush White House. Yes, he was. He was an advisor to George W. Bush. And having gotten his ass handed to him, uh, and having been driven out of his party by the forces he helped unleash, he decided the real problem was partisanship on both sides. Both sides do it. And so he did what Tom Friedman did, what David Brooks did. He you know, went through his Rolodex of very rich people. And got some moron to fund him. In that his- moron was the mayor of New York City. Yes. Drift Glass. <laughs> and, and Michael Bloomberg. To fund his stupid movement that, because it is, again, the, the conservatism and centrism lean against each other like two drunks. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. cannot survive without each other. Because the minute you reach the conclusion that the problem is the right, the problem is the Republican Party, you are immediately faced with a moral decision you can know and, and the only escape from having to choose whether to side with bad people or good people is the is the utopia of centrism that is your spider hole that's your out that's your back door oh well if both sides are equally wrong then i don't have to choose anything I well and this the is there was a beautiful example of that when marco rubio was on this week it's hard to believe it was this week because this week has gone on so for so long but Marco Rubio was on Daily Show this week, and yeah. what did he say when yeah. John Stewart pushed him to say, mm-hmm. "You know, your side is really pushing for some crazy shit here," mm-hmm. and his answer, time and time and time again, was, "Well, Democrats and Republicans, well, both sides, well, both both parties, both Absolutely. sides of the aisle are," and the, finally he just said, "Our leadership won't let us." And that's when I lost it because I, I, I tweeted that, you know, you're a senator, Marco Rubio. If you want to die on the hill of Senate reform, I'm with you. Yeah. But I'm not a senator. You are. <laughs> you are. And you can stand up. You're and one of 100 people and you can stand up and scream your head off at uh-huh. your colleagues and say, bring this to a vote. And, yeah, you, and make a difference. And you can you, die on that hill. If you do a, a, a little search on Drift Glass, Marco Rubio Rush Transcript. Oh, yeah. Um, because it was so, I mean, it really, it, it, um, um, Harlan Ellison. Everybody has, take a drink. Everybody take a drink, although he's not a science fiction writer. Yeah, we has know. This lovely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Has, it, <laughs> well, has this lovely um, idea uh, he doesn't write for television, doesn't like to write for television, but, he, but he, he loves what it can do for you. He said it's like an Aladdin's lamp. You know, the idea that you wrote this thing and then somebody, boom, made it come true right before your very eyes. He's, there's something magical and, over, and really powerful about that as a writer, that a whole bunch of people got together and made what was just in your imagination real in the real world and filmed it is, is quite a powerful thing. And watching Marco Rubio... Um, who has obviously been trained within an inch of his life mm-hmm. by whoever the fuck does marketing. Mark McKinnon. <laughs> Mark McKinnon. A Mark McKinnon school. Yeah. And yeah. Frank Luntz. Um, every single time 
Um, John, John Stewart, Stewart yeah. who is who is no prize himself. Sometimes no, he really. desperately he does that both sides stuff a lot. He yeah. Desperately wants both sides to be wrong, and he he stayed in, staged an entire rally around that. He's yeah. largely given that up, but he is one of those people who really fanatically wanted wanted something that was empirically untrue to be true, and just is irritated that it's not, mm-hmm. and is frustrated because he wants to be able to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Monday, Wednesday. I'll go after Democrats, Tuesday, Thursday, Republicans. Mm-hmm. He wants that because that's his audience. He wants both sides. He wants lots of people to watch his show. And unfortunately, the, the world he actually lives in is month, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the right wing are the problem. Yeah. And to pretend otherwise makes you look stupid. And your audience knows you don't, you're not stupid. So you end up over dramatizing things that the left does. And, but, but Marco Rubio goes on your show. Yeah. And he says, but yeah. But you guys filibustered more in you know, one year or whatever, or yeah. two years, than the entire history of the Senate. Well, you know, Democrats and Republicans, John. Well, you know, both sides, John. And, I mean, right there in front of you, it is so clear that the, the spider hole, mm-hmm. the firewall that prevents the righteous judgment of history from crashing down on conservatives' heads and destroying them is centrism. Yeah. Because... Every time Marco Rubio says, well, you know, maybe my, my party does bad things, but you know, both sides, John. So, you know, somewhere in centrist heaven, a David Brooks angel gets its wings. Yep. yep. And there's an entire multi-billion dollar media industry devoted to selling this one lie. And the thing that, that yeah. busts my gut, if you will. And did. <laughs> and did. Is that there is an entire industry devoted to, to, um, um, unmasking Rush Limbaugh and unmasking Sean Hannity and taking on the media matters and, and pretty much the entire left-wing blogs and uh, MSNBC are all devoted, except for MSNBC now employs one bint on its midday show, which is a, another issue entirely. But there's an entire industry of people on the left devoted to unmasking the right, and they scream at each other across this divide. There is no comparable effort devoted to taking on the right's ally, which is centrism. And yet, when, that's their retreat. That's how they yeah. get out of being um, wiped out. And being they, scrutinized, yeah. yeah. They crawl into this fucking spider hole and say, but both sides, but both sides, but both sides. And the only way we're going to win, I'm totally convinced, the only way we're going to win against conservatives is by destroying their capacity to say both sides do it in public, to be laughed at. They will be laughed at every time they say it. Yep. And there are there are five or six people on the left that I know of who who are doing this. I'm one of them. Yeah, and, and there are some. There's someone at Gawker of- that's doing that and calling it a fetish. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it is. It's a media it fetish to keep things on an even keel so there's a horse race for ratings. Mm-hmm. And, but- and also f- the collaborators like David Gregory who do it for on purpose to help the hidey hole. And you will see people like Rachel Maddow come right up to the edge and say, the media is really irresponsible when it comes to Mitt Romney lying all the time. What she means is the media, like my colleague David Gregory, but she can't say that. And so she won't say that. And I I understand being constrained by the organization you work for. Believe me, there are any number of organizations (laughs) I've worked for that I have been doing good work as I worked for them, but... Other things they were doing I profoundly disagreed with, but I didn't take them on. I didn't attack them because I thought the work I was doing was worth the price I had to pay to 
walk away from the other shit they were doing because I couldn't really do anything about it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I get when you work for a company, there's certain, there's, you got to eat some shit if you want to get your good work done. I get that. But the truth of the matter is, Rachel, the truth of the matter is, Lawrence, your colleague, David Gregory, is, is the problem. Mm-hmm. And until it comes out of your mouth some night that, no, the problem in this country is the reason the right never gets taken to the woodshed is because every time someone tries, David Gregory pops his greasy little head in the middle of the mix and says, well, you know, but, but Democrats are just as bad. Until somebody- And invites Newt Gingrich on his show and gives him an yeah. uninterrupted 20 minutes to lie and, and mm-hmm. never ask him about anything he said on his show before. And until yeah. he is taken out in public and just verbally beaten like a rented mule, Mm-hmm. This is just going to keep going on and on, and we're never going to win because it's, we're fighting in sand. And every time we ch- we think we have a foothold, the floor collapses out from underneath us because you know both sides blow gal, both sides, both sides. And the, and, and, and there's also an industry out there to reinvent the Republican Party every time it fucks up. Yeah. So and and the idea that Karl Rove is still on television as a new different kind of crossroads, different thing that he's doing now you know that's not related to the tea party at all crossroads is not related to the tea party there's something completely different i don't fault him for the effort i really don't i really don't (laughs) fault him for the effort to try to weasel out of it yeah it's not you know he's the criminal yeah yeah david gregory's the cop on the beat and the fact lets him do it yeah sees the crime committed in front of him sees every time new Gingrich opens his racist pie hole and lobs another bomb into the middle of our political discourse and david gregory invites him back on the air, never challenges him, and just lets him have his way. That's David Gregory, the cop on the beat's way of saying, well, yeah, the, the criminal I see in front of me actually um, mugging someone may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure somewhere across town there's a liberal doing the same thing, so I'm not going to enforce anything because that would be unfair. Fuck you. Do your fucking job, David Gregory. And it doesn't, and, But again, it doesn't really matter how angry I get or you get, Blue Gal, or anybody gets. David Gregory is part of a club of people who are completely protected from any judgment, any – no one can touch them. And until, until centrism becomes a dirty word, he's going to be able to keep doing this bullshit and Mark Halpern's going to be able to keep doing this bullshit. And the right will always have a place to hide when things go wrong under – as, as under David Gregory's capacious skirts, like they used to say about Grandma's nighty, it covers everything. Centrism covers everything. Hippie punching and centrism. Until those two things are are, are taken off the table, we're going to keep losing. I wanna have friends that I can trust that love me for the man I've become, not the man that I was. The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help.
Two years ago, the Tea Party dominated the national political scene, drawing thousands of supporters to their protests and marches and inundating the media with their cries for smaller government. But now, with just months until a presidential election, the Tea Party is quiet, some say too quiet. With analysis, we are joined by Thomas Wilkes of the Shuttleworth Institute for Political Studies. Welcome. Good evening. Now, Thomas, it would appear that the Tea Party has given up their attempt to influence national politics. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> oh, Andrea, don't be a fool. A political movement of that size and intensity does not simply vanish. Oh, no, Andrea, they're still out there, biding their time, gathering their strength waiting to strike. But Thomas, no one has seen a grandmother holding an Obamacare equals socialism sign or a screaming uh, man in a colonial costume in years. I mean, take a look at this footage. This is from a Tea Party office taken earlier this week. There's nothing there but a few dusty posters. Well, just because you can't see the Tea Party doesn't mean it isn't there. A storm is coming, Andrea. Even now, an army of men Women and portly children are cladding themselves in Obama socks, t-shirts, and fabricating misspelled placards bearing acrostics of the president's name. And they will be unstoppable. But I don't, I don't completely understand this. I mean, where is this happening, Thomas? Where are all of these Tea Party members? Some say... They're walking among us, disguising themselves as ordinary, apathetic, politically uninvolved Americans. Others say they've taken to the woods and are living in caves and old abandoned cabins, waiting for the right moment to jump out and snatch our congressional seats one after another. Right, here at the Onion News Network, we heard this theory, and we've actually sent Jason Copeland out to see if he can collect any information. That was a very bad idea. They'll be waiting okay, for Okay, let's him. go to Jason Copeland now for a live report. Jason. You should not have sent him out there. Jason. Jason, are you there? Jason, can you hear us? They are coming. Jason! The is on the grass. The lunatic is on the grass Remembering games and daisy chains and laughs Got to keep the loonies on the path The lunatic is in the hall The lunatics are in my home. I don't even know how to interpret this. So apparently, this is according to the, uh, it's pretty funny stuff. Apparently, according to the Des Moines Register, a candidate for a state Senate seat in Iowa, Randy Shannon of Coralville. She was running for the 34th District Senate seat, which, as we all know, covers part of Marion and parts of Cedar Rapids in Lynn County, Iowa. I don't know. She was running against a Democrat. I don't know what happened, but apparently she's been doing a lot of research. And 
she discovered something earth-shattering. And what she has discovered, and I am now quoting from her letter to her fans on her Facebook page, that I, this meaning her, have become aware of the existence of the original republic for the United States of America. We, the people, re-inhabited our lawful de jure, de jure, by right of lawful establishment, government on March 30th, 2010. This is the republic founded in 1787, then abandoned during the Civil War in the 1860s. It was then replaced in 1871 by the United States Corporation, de facto, without law. This unlawful corporate democracy established by the 41st Congress has been acting as though it is the official government, which clearly it is not, exclamation point. It is the reason why, quote, we the people, instead of, and now every word that I read will be capitalized, the first letter, experiencing freedom and prosperity, suffer under the weight of oppressive statutes and an out-of-control monstrous national debt which is robbing us and all future generations, all capitalized, of Americans of our treasure and our legacy for which our founding fathers so valiantly fought and died. This is where I would play the cuckoo sound. I am here to announce that I am ending my campaign as of this July 4th, 2012. Trust me, this story does not end here, nor does my commitment. Please allow me to continue because I have some great news to share with all of you. This is like the line like, that you cribbed directly from that Nigerian email scam. I am Dr. Wanta Tatumda in the, from the uh, country of Senegal. Uh, because of a coup, I have been thrown out. But my cousin, who was the Minister of the Interior, uh, still controls millions of dollars worth of bank uh, deposits. Please allow me to continue, because I have some great news to share with you. Republic for Iowa, in union with the Republic of the United States of America. I have learned from my participation in campaigns that no matter who we elect, there's no positive change. The same parking points are used. Lower taxes, education reform. We need to end big government port, etc. And then she goes on to say some other stuff I can't really make out. Instead, ours is an economically weak nation with the dollar on the very brink of collapse. We now find corruption at virtu uh, virtual every level of government and hardly ever is anyone made to answer for it. Well, I think we can agree on the uh, problems of lack of accountability. She has a very unique uh, solution. Therefore, in order to affect the most good on behalf of People's Iowa's 34th District, and in keeping with my conscience, I have accepted the position of U.S. Senator in the Republic of the United States of America, where I may better serve you and all of the people of Iowa. So I, there apparently is some type of parallel America where it's a republic and she is the senator from Iowa. So um, 
And she does, at least uh, like two pages later, say, for those of you having difficulty understanding the reasons for my decision, I want to refer you to the websites, republicforthenitedstates.org and republiccongress.org. So I can't explain this to you folks. It's just that I also want to announce that I am now the senator of uh, not just uh, the state of New York and the Republic of the United States of America, but for about a half dozen states, uh, which, of course, I'm... Uh, keeping under wraps uh, because of different political considerations that I have. But please, send now uh, to me $6,000, care of the majority report, P.O. Box 1004, Hudson, New York, 12534, and I can carry out my mission to serve all of you very well. Cashier's checks only. Oh, do you know who Jonathan Crone is? I just read about him this morning. Mm -hmm. Do you know who Jonathan Crone is? I'm not Crone? sure. No. He was a 13-year-old boy in 2000. Yes. Oh, right. now he was the conservative? That Go ahead. Was, no, that's all yes. I know, that he was a conservative when he came out. And he gave a big speech at CPAC. And, oh, right. Uh, and was he, he 11 or 12 at that time? He was 13. like 13, and, then he, and he wrote a book about uh, you know about conservatism. And so right. now he's 17 or 18 going to college now? NYU. NYU, and he's not. he won't say that he's a liberal. Liberal, but he's voting for Obama. He he's for Obama. Yeah, he's for Obama. Yeah, and mm -hmm. he wants to apologize. Did you hear about this, Frank? I, I heard. I didn't read the article. But I saw the headline. I think he just wants to get laid at NYU. I think that's <laughs> what it probably all comes down to. Well, <laughs> I love Obama. With, with that, baby. that that tape of him, and he comes off as like such a. If you, I've uh, yes. seen that take, it's just like it's unbelievable. All yeah. every stupid talking point yeah, in the world, yeah. uh, you know, as if it's some brilliant thought. Yeah. So now here he is at NYU. All these beautiful women there that are have tend to be liberal and he's like hey screw that yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. so here's a 13 year old uh, boy speaking at cpac in 2009 talking about what personal responsibility really <laughs> not taking any handouts you're a 13 year old boy hacking his lunch <laughs> yeah yeah totally self-sufficient and now he's when uh, he was 13 he said today i am a douche <laughs> <laughs> and newt gingrich met with him and bill bennett mm. when he was 13 oh that's oh, exciting dude. for any teenager <laughs> <laughs> to meet with newt gingrich and hey, bill, bill bennett <laughs> oh god tell me every detail of your meeting with him don't leave anything out that is so cool bill bennett <laughs> so now he's 19 and he turns his back on the mm. republican party and I, I'm reading this, and I realized that the Republican Party is comprised of 13-year-old boys uh, who have just stopped 
They've grown right. chronologically, but not <laughs> intellectually mm-hmm. or emotionally. Mm-hmm. It is the perfect party for a 13-year-old boy. You're afraid you're gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like women. You don't want to admit that you like women. Uh-huh. If you're th- you're ba- I mean, you kind of think you might. Mm-hmm. Eh, 13, you're masturbating, but you're a virgin, mm-hmm. and you don't want to really admit that you like women, so you tease them and mm-hmm. torture them and deny right. them contraception uh-huh. and abortions. That's what I did when I was 13. <laughs> I was constantly... Throwing. We used to sneak into the girls' dorm and give them transvaginal ultrasounds. <laughs> <laughs> it, so this guy, Jonathan Crone, when he was 13 in 2009, he was the personification of the Republican Party. Just they're 13-year-old mm-hmm. boys who've just stopped. Right, and there's another kid now, right, who has a, has a radio show who's like a. Have you seen that kid? He's like a twelve-year-old conservative. You know, it's like when you yeah. get those those twelve-year-old preachers. It's like you have nothing to teach me about life, young man. Right. I don't care how smoothly you sound or how cute you are in a suit. Mm-hmm. That's just craziness. A twelve-year-old preacher. Even Jesus waited till he was thirty. <laughs> Michelle Bachman. Now, we know she's the clown of the earth, right? You know, there's salt of the earth. She's clown of the earth. And she, like, pops up like weeds. Like, hey, I'm Michelle Bachman. And she says uh, horrible, ridiculous things. Like, of course, in the past, she said that Democrats are un-American and they need to be investigated. Thank you, modern-day Mrs. McCarthy. Uh, And the list goes on and on. She makes up stuff all the time. Uh, And now she's come up with a new plot. Uh, the Muslim Brotherhood is coming. They're coming. Uh, where are they coming to? I, okay, well, look, they won the elections in Egypt, Mohammed Morsi. Uh, will be interesting to see what kind of a, you know, government did they form there. So, where are they going next? Are they, Libya, Tunisia? Is that what you're worried about? No, no, no. United States of America. She says that they have infiltrated. In fact, I love the words that she uses. Here she is talking to radio host Sandy Rios. Let's listen. And it appears that there has been deep penetration in the halls Mm. of our United States government by the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood has been found to be an unindicted co-conspirator on terrorism cases. And yet, it appears that there are individuals who are associated with the Muslim Brotherhood who have positions and very sensitive positions in our Department of Justice, our Department of Homeland Security, potentially even in the National Intelligence Agency. And I am calling upon the Justice Department and these various departments to investigate through the Inspector General to see who these people are and what access they have to our information. This woman was at one point among the top candidates for the Republican Party's presidential nomination. She had searched for a while. She was doing really well. She, she won straw polls. 
For a while, it looked like it was going to be her. Any party that would be associated with this national embarrassment ought to be shut down immediately. We, we can't treat a party like this as if they're a legitimate force in this country. Now, they're a legitimate force in that they have power, that they got through money, etc., right? So you can point that out, obviously. But to take their ideas seriously, what is this conspiracy you made, this Operation Deep Penetration that you're talking about? I mean, look at all the things that she oh, It's very sensitive. This deep penetration is very sensitive. Now, she wrote a letter to the Department of Homeland Security, Justice Department, State Department, the National Office on Intelligence, etc., with other Republican congressmen. These are among the dumbest people in the country. Uh, of course, Louis Gohmert, uh, Thomas Rooney, Lynn Westmoreland, Trent Franks. I mean, if you can find a collection of five people that are dumber in the country, uh, you've done an amazing job, okay? And and then run for the hills. Don't be near those guys. Okay, so these guys write a lot of, oh, wait here, the Muslim Brotherhood's coming, man. <laughs> they've infiltrated the government. <laughs> and I think they're unduly influencing the Barack Obama. Okay, that's great. Um, what's your evidence? Nothing. But you know, they're unindicted co-conspirators. But wait a minute, wait a minute. What's your evidence that they're inside the government and they've done a deep penetration, right? Nothing. In fact, Keith Ellison makes the best point about this. Keith Ellison is another congressman from Minnesota. He's a Democrat. He is also Muslim. And he says, okay, wait, 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 wait. If Michelle Bachman has this great intelligence information, what's she doing and just reporting it in a talk show randomly on the radio? Are you crazy? She's like, take it to the government and say, I've got secret information about how we've been infiltrated. So because this is either the most sensitive information there is in the country, or it's nonsense and it's made up. Okay, you can't go. Imagine if you really had uncovered a plot to take over our, our country and you just like casually tell it on the radio, like, oh, by the way, <laughs> not a big deal. I hope you don't tell anybody, but I've uncovered this plot where they're going to take over the country. Wow, sick dude, did I say that out loud? Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You know, Michelle Bachman, I, I love this. You know what she serves on? The House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Well, I mean, what are we going to do with the country, man? She represents us on the Intelligence Committee. Our politics took a nightmarish turn this week. Senate Republicans twice blocked a vote to require corporations, unions, and obscure organizations hovering in the shadows to tell us who's putting up the millions and millions of dollars for all the propaganda assaulting the public during this political year. The bill the Republicans killed was already a weak parody of its original intent. It wouldn't even go into effect until after the November auction when the buying and selling of the White House, Congress, state legislatures, and courts will have been completed and the dark money have done its dirty work. 
By then, a vast pall of secrecy will cover the tracks of the secret donors. The knife, plunged into the heart of democracy, will have been wiped clean of the fingerprints of those who wielded it. The public will not even know who owns title to our government. Both our political parties are up to their necks in this corruption. It was Barack Obama, you'll recall, who tossed public funding under the bus four years ago, then hauled in huge sums of money from Wall Street fat cats he later promised to protect from public wrath over their ill-gotten gains. And when there was just a brief chance to reform carried interest, that's the trickery that enables the Mitt Romneys of the world to pay a tax rate far below working people, Wall Street Democrats like Senator Chuck Schumer helped to snuff it out in the cradle. But the Republicans, once the party of Lincoln, government of, by, and for the people, remember, the Republicans have thrown their soul into the bargain. Once upon a time, they said, let there be light. Here's Ronald Reagan in 1988. We need full disclosure of all campaign contributions. Here's the first George Bush in 1989. Disclosure, full disclosure. That's the answer. Senator John McCain in 2004. What reform does is create transparency, equality, and participation. Senator Scott Brown in 2012. Attack ads from unaccountable outside groups that spend millions of dollars from anonymous donors portraying their opposition unfairly and misleading voters are wrong. Once upon a time, even Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell was for transparency. Even Mitch McConnell saying, let the sunshine in. In 1997, he said disclosing campaign donors and spending should be expedited so voters can judge for themselves what is appropriate. Three years later, he called for real disclosure and asked, why would a little disclosure be better than a lot of disclosure? That was then. Now Mitch McConnell has become a walking alibi for corruption. He lines up every Republican in the Senate, every one of them, to protect their secret donors. And he does so twice in one week. Why? Because they have made it their mission to prevent majority rule. And because they are no longer a conservative party. The noted political scientist Sheldon Wolin in his book, Democracy, Inc., writes that the Republican Party is now radically oligarchical, programmed to advance corporate, economic, and political interest, and to protect and promote inequalities of opportunity and wealth. There's the nightmarish future, a government run of, by, and for the rich, while everyday Americans are left to lives of lowered earnings, chronic insecurity in the workplace, and a vulnerable old age. This is why secrecy is a must. Because that vision of a nation no longer fair, no longer just, cannot possibly win free and open elections conducted as honest competition. The majority of Americans, citizens of a country born in what one historian calls the age of democratic revolutions, would never choose to be governed by the few at the expense of the many. Politicians required to play by the rules to openly confess that their loyalty has been purchased and forced to identify the highest bidders could not possibly survive the scrutiny. So, they must bend the rules to conceal their transactions. In doing in democracy, their safety is in secrecy, 
and we must be kept in the dark. Hi, Jay. This is Mara from Pittsburgh. So I've recently begun thinking more about global warming, climate change, and other environmental problems. And and today I was prompted by something um, Lauren said on one of the recent podcasts to um, consider how often I hear this, this phrase associated with these concerns, the phrase destroying the planet, right? that um, we have to be careful that we don't destroy the planet or that things that some people are doing are destroying the planet. So I'm uncomfortable with that rhetoric for two reasons. First, it's, it's just false that we could ever destroy the planet. Right? Second, it makes our concerns sound very compassionately altruistic, kind of falsely though, because we're really concerned about ourselves. So first, we can't destroy the planet. No matter how high the sea levels rise, how warm or polluted the planet gets, or how many species die, the planet will still be here. The planet may be destroyed by a supernova or something like that, but nothing we do is going to cause the planet to cease to exist. Okay? And I think we all know this. Right? This is not a deep insight. I think deep down we know that what we're really concerned with is not the planet in general or the existence of the planet, but about human lives and human welfare on the planet. We don't want sea levels to rise because we don't want to lose parts of our landmass, parts of our country, parts of our ecosystems. We don't want the planet to warm because it causes all kinds of extreme weather events that adversely affect people. Similarly, we don't want our land and rivers and air to be polluted because it adversely affects people, right? Um, so like I said, I think we all know this. And given that, I'd like, I'd like it if people would stop warning that we're destroying or killing the planet. It's true that it's, it's, that sounds a lot worse and much less altruistic than warning of destroying ourselves. But I don't want a serious problem to get lost in its own propaganda. What I, and I think a lot of others, care about is the people who develop asthma. The people devastated by tornadoes, hurricanes, and forest fires. The things that my daughter and her children and their children won't be able to experience because we've wiped out too many species, open spaces, and habitats. And I worry that these cares get lost when we stop talking about people, instead talk about a proxy object like the planet, that is so hard for people to really understand and almost impossible to empathize with. Anyway, I'd, I'd like to hear yours and other listeners' thoughts about this. Uh, thanks. Keep up the good work. Hi, Jerry. Uh, this is Travis in Missouri. I really love the show. started listening about a year ago, and it, it's really turned me to progressive media. I would be a member, but unfortunately I'm a very poor graduate student right now. But it has turned me towards the progressive media, and I listen to a majority of the podcasts you play clips from. I was really curious, though, that a large majority uh, of these progressives, they don't like Romney, understandably, but they're also unhappy with Obama, yet they still talk about voting for Obama. 
And I really think this is because we, as a country, only really see in this two-party system, and it wasn't really supposed to uh, be that way. So why not vote for a more progressive candidate? Jill Stein of the Green Party and Stuart Alexander of the Socialist Party are both running and have views that are not right-wing and are more left than Obama. As third parties, as you might imagine, they uh, do not have the money and resources that the Democrats or Republicans do. But with views that are more aligned with the progressive movement, why are they rarely, if ever, mentioned in progressive media? I'm not advocating here that progressive media become a political machine for the two-party system, but mentioning them uh, a little more might help people get to think that there are other options, while greatly helping these campaigns to get more people to look at them, because really, let's face it here, the big news corporations are not going to mention these candidates. It was just a thought. I was just curious what you thought about it. Uh, Keep up the great work, Jay. Hi, Jay. This is Amy in Denver. You asked for comments regarding a living wage, so I thought I'd leave my two cents. As a former math teacher, my first instinct is to do the math, but I realized there are some philosophies behind even the math I would do. The main philosophy is that, from what I know and have learned about the founding fathers of our country, like Thomas Jefferson and Thomas Paine, they intended for us all to have enough of a share of what they called the commons for us to experience their idea of freedom. If you've ever had very little, which in my experience as a single woman seems to be defined by making anything less than about 30000 a year, you know how restricting that can feel. Granted, there are people who get by on less, but I've heard of studies that show that people are much less stressed when they make something above approximately that threshold. I think this is just barely enough to afford a decent housing in a city, transportation to make it to your job, a relatively healthy diet, an amount of self-care, some health care costs, some fairly cheap entertainment, and possibly a very small amount of travel or education. Unfortunately, if anyone makes one mistake, one poor decision, has the misfortune of getting sick or injured or having a family member who gets sick or injured or even some other moderate calamity, it's just not enough in this country. That's why I think that universal health care is a matter of freedom and why sometimes even twice what we call living wage in this country is not enough. Thanks for taking my comments. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. A couple of quick responses to those voicemails. First to uh, Mara in Pittsburgh about uh, saving the planet. I totally agree with everything she said about accuracy and communication in, in those terms. I'm, I'm basically always going to be in favor of more accuracy in communication. Uh, And then for voting for Obama versus third parties, uh, this is something that Sam Cedar argues with people about on his show, uh, The Majority Report, all the time. And, you know, people make the argument that you should vote for the person who you would most want to see in office. And I agree with Sam's perspective that voting is not uh, something that you do to make yourself feel good. It is a tool that you use to help bring about the end result that you want. It is a tool in the same way that a hammer is a tool. And you don't use a hammer to drive a nail into a piece of wood because it's cathartic. You use a hammer to drive a nail into a piece of wood because in doing that, you are taking a step towards building whatever it is you're trying to build 
in the political sense, as a progressive, you're trying to build a more progressive country. And so I believe that your vote should be used as a tool in the most effective way possible to make the country more progressive. So if an argument can be made that voting for a third party candidate will drive the country in a more progressive direction, that's the argument I want to hear. Any argument that is that you should vote for the third party candidate because it would feel better it doesn't hold water for me, and nor does it hold water for most of the progressive hosts who the caller referred to, and that's why most progressive hosts are still saying that they're going to vote for Obama because they believe that that vote is the way towards a more progressive country, even though it's not nearly as progressive as they would want it to be and not nearly as progressive as, you know, the fantasy world where a Green Party candidate gets into office. And finally today, I just want to give a bunch of updates. There's lots of stuff going on right now. And uh, so the, the, the biggest and most immediate is that the next episode of the show is actually going to be pushed back on the schedule. It's going to be a couple of days uh, longer than usual uh, before the next episode comes out because I am moving across the country. Uh, for longtime listeners, some will remember that I used to live in Washington, D.C. I moved away a couple of years ago. I'm now in Chicago, but I'm going back. And uh, for not so long-term listeners, you may remember that I did a uh, you know, climate ride just a couple of months ago, raised money for climate change organizations. And that was the inspiration that made me realize, you know, it was, it was doing that and, and being with those people who, who were there, it was like being reintroduced to my tribe. And, and I, I had this like uncontrollable pull to come back into the fold. And uh, so there's that. And then beyond that, uh, now with the much more active integration of activism into the show, being in D.C. where so much activism actually happens also makes a lot of sense uh, in, in terms of the show. Speaking of activism, of course, uh, eagle-eared listeners may have noticed that there actually haven't been activism updates for the last uh, few episodes, and the reason for that is another giant update, which is that Lauren is in uh, Germany studying abroad for a few weeks. So although we should be hearing from her if circumstances allow, we will not be hearing from her as much as usual, but when she comes back, then everything will pick up right where it left off. So I'm very much looking forward to that and want to make sure that no one got the, the wrong impression that that little experiment had been uh, shooed to the side. And then finally, uh, just a couple last things, is that uh, Our Blue Media, which is you know, a project I've been working on for a while, this is going to be you know, the, the new funding mechanism that I think will supplant PayPal as the default uh, way to pay progressive media outlets, independent progressive media outlets, that is still very actively under development. And uh, Best of the Left is actually getting a brand new website simultaneously, also actively under, under development. And when that launches, that will be you know, built specifically to incredibly support the new work we're doing with activism. And so Lauren and I are incredibly excited about that. And now we're all just playing the waiting game until all of that launches. So I know that was a lot of updates, but uh, that is it. You're all caught up now. That is what's going on. Lots of exciting things in the pipeline and just waiting to, to happen. I hope you're all as excited or at least fractionally as excited as I am. So that'll do it for today. Thanks to everyone who financially supports the show and these other projects I just mentioned by becoming a member or making a one-time donation. That is absolutely how the program survives and these other projects thrive at the same time. 
Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips you particularly like through your social networks, which can be done through the website. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white. Upon a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining shoe